Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. This episode is brought to you by Past Life. Life can change at any moment. Are you prepared? The grief a family feels upon losing loved ones is difficult enough, but the days, weeks, and months that follow are filled with stressful decisions. Past Life is a single solution, secure, cloud-based platform where funeral preparations, last wishes, will information, financial assets, business continuation information, social media account information, etc. can be uploaded to the recipients of the user's choosing. Past Life allows you to alleviate the stress and lift the fog for your loved ones, primarily by giving them a vital trove of information in multiple areas. Veterans Path podcast listeners can save 10% by using the code PATH at checkout. Learn more at pastlife.com. That's pass-life.com. Past Life. Pass your loved ones a lifeline. All right. Welcome to the Veterans Path podcast. John McCaskill, your host, and I'm here with Sabrina Chichura. I hope I got that right, right? All right. So yeah, Sabrina is a Navy veteran, a former Navy linguist. But as I've said before, and I go live on these, I try not to give away too much in the intro. And we're just going to have a conversation. And you guys are all just here to listen into that conversation. So Sabrina, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's see, I, I, t- I touched on the fact that you're a Navy veteran. Can you kind of back us up prior to that? What did you do? Where did you grow up? And what kind of inspired you to go into the Navy? Totally. So I was born and raised in Minnesota. And um, I have a little bit of background with military. My own father was a Marine. My cousins and grandfather were Navy but I didn't really feel connected to the military at all um, growing up. Like it wasn't on my radar whatsoever. So when I graduated high school, I went to college and got my degree in family social science because I knew that I just wanted to help people. And I wanted, I love studying people and psychology and family dynamics and childhood trauma. And so I got my degree, but then the idea of getting a master's just, like writing papers and research just wasn't really my gig. So I was like, (laughs) "Hmm, like, what do I do? And at the time I was working in retail, I had been working at Best Buy for like five years. And I was like, I also don't feel like my path is to sell cameras for the rest of my life or to work in technology. And so my decision to join the military was super spontaneous. Nobody saw it coming. Like, when I announced it, um, I was 21. So I was a little bit like, you know, it wasn't like, um, not to say that people when they join when they're 18, they don't know, but like I had gone to college. So I was like, okay, like I've done a little bit of life, you know, but it was, yeah, it was just so random. And, um, and I went into the recruiter office and they were like, 
they had me take the practice ASVAB and they were like, oh, you can do any job you want except for linguist. And in college, I had studied French. I had studied Italian. My mom was born and raised in Italy. I love languages. So I was like, why can't I be a linguist? And like, well, you might be able to, you just have to take the D-Lab. And I was like, I want to take the D-Lab. And then they're like, okay, let's go to MEPS. And on the same day I took the ASVAB, I turned around, I took the D-Lab and they're like, okay, cool. You want to be a linguist? And I was like, yep, sign me up. And um, from when I went to MEPS, I shipped within about like two to three months. So it was just, it just happened. Like it was so quick. (laughs) So did you go once you, when did you go in? First of all, when, when I joined, that? it's um my eight-year contract's almost done. So, because you know how you have like some of the in IRR time. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so I joined January 29th of 2013, and okay. I served six years active duty. Got it. And what language yeah. did you end up with? I was learning Arabic. So, um, and then as a linguist, you can get proficient in other languages too. So I was also testing in French and Italian, but Arabic was the language that the military taught me. Nice. And then did you actually deploy to the Middle East? Because I know that we as the Navy are pretty guilty about, and not just the Middle East, that's not the only place they speak Arabic. Please forgive me for, I'm not that ignorant, but- You're not um, incorrect. The Middle East and Northern Africa is where yeah. the majority of Arabic is, yeah. But is that where you ended up going? I did. I deployed. Um, so um, there is what's called a center for excellence, which is located in Georgia. So all of the um, Middle Eastern languages are in Georgia, Augusta, Georgia. And so that's where I was stationed. But I had the fortune because not a lot of linguists are deployers, but I got picked up for air crew. So after I finished the language school, I did um, like air crew training that I needed yeah. to do, including like SEER and Pensacola and all that. And then I deployed five times um, to the Middle East. I did um, a little bit of time in Africa as well as Greece, which was like kind of, um, you know, a little nicer than the Middle East as far as deployments goes. (laughs) In Africa, were you in Djibouti? Is that where you ended up? Or Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, So Greece is is nicer than than that. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Good for you. So the... uh, the language, you've got Arabic, you went out to air crew school. So I was prior enlisted, I was a parachute rigger. Uh, and I was the first oh. parachute rigger uh, class to go through a school at NATTC Pensacola. And that's when I saw a lot of the folks going through air crew training. And I was super jealous because at the time, I had a packet into to go into SEAL training, ended up not getting picked up, ended up going to Annapolis and then got got my SEAL training years later, but I was super jealous of all the cool things the air crew guys and girls were doing there, uh, you know, yeah. jumping, running. I mean, they were, they were in incredible shape. So uh, did you yeah, ever do I, anything with that piece, the, the air crew side? Yeah. When I deployed, I was on um, the EP3. Oh yeah. Um, so my deployments were air crew deployments. Yeah. Um, nice. And yeah, I was definitely in the best shape of my life after, <laughs> after I, all my A schools, I, in like, yeah, like about 2015, I was like, peak nice. condition. <laughs> nice. There you go. Well, so now before we started the conversation, uh, we talked about you are in Australia right now. What yes, took you from <laughs> the Navy in, in the U.S. to living in Australia? 
So um, when I got out of the military and people, you know, they're doing their job and like, okay, do you have a plan? And I was like, you know, my plan is to travel, like, because I got to deploy, I got to save up a lot of money. I paid off all my debts and the military paid off my student loans. So I left the military with a little nest egg and I would joke with my uncle who was retiring. I was like, why not have an early retirement? Like, I don't, I shouldn't have to wait until I'm, you know, 65 to retire. So um, I knew that I wanted to travel. I just wanted it to be like the right timing and the right place and the right reason. And so I was traveling around in my car. I did like a major road trip right after I got out and visited like all my friends and all my families and all the states. Like I went up the East Coast. I went over to Minnesota. I went over to the West Coast and down the West Coast and back up the West Coast. And it was like, an amazing like three or four month um, road trip. And I even spent my um, last, my terminal leave. I used Space A to get to Hawaii too. So Very cool. Like, Good for you. <laughs> I, I took advantage. And then, um, and then I was in Seattle living in a van. Like I was like, okay, now I'm going to do like van life in Seattle. Like why not? And um, I met on, these friends. Did you, did you have a, <laughs> uh, a Westphalia type van or what type of van were you rolling in? Dodge Ram that I bought from someone that already had like put a platform in it and so it was just a bed like there was no kitchen or bathroom in it it was just where I slept and kept my stuff but then yeah I I got really creative and really confident and I attribute this a lot to the military like traveling I became so confident traveling in the military just so much more feel so much more capable of who I am as a person, like, and, and my authority, my inner authority to be like, I can go and travel. I can feel safe. I can um, be vigilant and make good decisions and stuff. So, yeah. So I got really good at like figuring out how to live with a van and like using like a gym or I was using the rock climbing gym at the time for like my bathroom and showering (laughs) needs and stuff. So I got, yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did a little trip, certainly not months long. Uh, I, when I came back, let's see, from Afghanistan the last time, I spent 10 days bebopping around Hawaii. I flew out there, rented a Westphalia for 10 days, and just and just wherever I felt, felt, felt like sleeping that night, that's where I stopped the van and I slept. And then like uh, I, I used the bases to, to shower and, and everything else. Um, but I can't imagine doing that all around the country uh, or, or even where you were with the van, uh, I think you, I think you said the West coast when you're bebopping around. Yeah. So cool. Um, let's see. So that trip wraps up and then how do you you end up in Australia from there? So I, I was in Seattle doing the van thing for a couple months and I met this beautiful couple of friends of mine. And I've always, because like my educational background is in like family dynamics and childhood trauma And then my own parents were divorced when I was 11. And with all of that, I've always looked really internal to kind of heal. And so I was kind of attracted to this um, healing that these friends introduced me to where it was just, yeah, it was about exploring your internal space and just releasing old trauma in order to, yeah, like become more free. And um, so through them, I met this group of people that held a retreat in Thailand. And that's when I officially launched from the States to not the States. <laughs> so, um, and that was in October of 19, I got on the plane with my backpack and I was like, all right, I'm leaving America. I don't know when I'll be back. Cause it just felt like 
I was going on a world trip, like who knew? And um, I spent two months in Thailand and then I was going to be in Hawaii for a wedding for the new year of last year. But then it just, it didn't feel like that was, I don't know, I'm very much into like, does this feel like in like a flow for me, a beautiful flow or does it feel like I'm forcing it? And it just felt like, yeah, I had already bought my ticket halfway to Hawaii via Australia. And I was like, I just don't think I'm going to buy the second half of that ticket. And then (laughs) that's what happened. I did. And then I, um, I was here. I've been here for just over a year. Wow. And I guess, uh, so let's see, this time last year down there, there were all sorts of fires going on. Um, And then obviously from there, we've gone into COVID. How has this year been down there for you? So yeah, the fires were pretty intense. Um, Luckily, I was a bit north of the fires for the majority of the the intense part of it. But when I came back, I met a lot of people who, yeah, had just been really affected by the fires. And then with COVID, I mean, I'm not going to lie, like I count my blessings every single day I'm here because I'm in kind of this bubble of, it's a bit of like a hippie town. And so people are, of course, um, careful, but there's also not, um, it's not like a big city. So people aren't like, I don't think, I think in some of those more populated areas, there's a lot more fear and vigilance and and caution and um, fortunately where I am there haven't been a lot of cases and people are just yeah like we're just kind of living like a beach life and you know I I'm not yeah I'm not gonna lie I'm really fortunate like um, of all the places I could have spent the corona don't, don't tell times exactly where you are because <laughs> now everybody that's listening is going to fly out there because it sounds oh like, yeah sounds that's like already paradise. such a problem yeah like a whole bunch of the australians are even coming to my area yeah yeah, yeah. nice so your your degree in, mm-hmm. in family social science has that been put to use since you've left the navy at all or uh, what are you doing now So not technically, like I've never showed some of my diploma and that was like the deciding factor of something, um, which is so interesting for me, um, as a person that is pursuing this now, again, there's like imposter syndrome, even though I have a degree, I feel like it's actually not that useful in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I would attribute more of my, it's like I had to learn what I had to learn to get the degree and then there's like all the stuff I've learned since which are like books that I've read and things I've studied and my own personal experience of applying these things to my own life and then watching those things like transform my life and so I feel like I attribute more of what I've learned to like my personal experience and my personal passions which is like I just like eat help books like self-help books I'm just like not even just for myself like I'm like oh my gosh like this will be helpful to someone someday if I remember Uh something about this book you know and um so yeah it's like the the degree was definitely like there to establish and to give me that pretty little piece of paper but I feel like all the studying I've done since then has been more valuable to me than the degree itself is yeah yeah the the school of life right I I, I fully agree that uh, I mean I've, I've got my degree my undergrad in mathematics and my master's in operations research and I 
can't tell you that <laughs> I, I use that regularly. Uh, I think maybe if anything, it taught me to think analytically and that that has helped in life, but I definitely use what I've learned in, in life, uh, in relationships with friends, family, and in, in what I've read in books far yeah. more than I, what I used in my formal education. Um, that, that said, so now you using your life lessons to get you to Australia and are you still a, a veteran mentor? Yeah. So I, I launched my own business back in June. Um, but it hasn't been without its challenges and the challenges I wouldn't say are like external. Like I wouldn't say like, oh, okay, it's Corona's fault or sure. this or that. It's just like the, the challenges of, of, saying yes to myself, the challenges of believing in myself. I'm like clearing my system of all these limiting beliefs. And, and that's like insane to me. Like I, I try to start a business and I'm really passionate. And then like, I get set back by my own feelings about how something does or doesn't go. And so then I sit and examine and I meditate and I say, okay, like in what way am I blocking myself? In what way am I? Yeah. Like yeah, it's kind of hard to describe um, in in the sense that I just take everything that's happening outside of me as a mirror for like what's happening inside of me. And then I yeah. try to just heal that. And so that's kind of like the journey I'm on. And um, I don't know, like if your listeners are into astrology or if you know much about astrology, but I'm in, I'm in oh, my wow. Saturn return right now, <laughs> which is like when Saturn comes around at around 29 28 29 years to the same place that it was when you were born and they say that around this time of your life so I don't know if you can recall back to when you were like the very late 20s like 29 or 30 like you have to face some hard stuff at that age like and even if people don't attribute to astrology like being on the cusp of 30 you're just like oh my gosh my 20s are over no more like I I'm I'm done being a juvenile like I'm done being this young person like I've got to figure myself out and so I don't know yeah maybe when you were 29 you went through this so yeah um I probably did I certainly didn't know it was this called the Saturn return so next time let's see I'll be looking out for it at 58 so it's 29 years is that right (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. so yeah just keep an eye on what happens for you again (laughs) yeah I did look for the uh what is it the great conjunction uh what, two weeks ago when, what was it, Saturn and Jupiter were close to one another? Uh, that I that I am aware of, but I'm not, I would not classify myself as an astrologist at all. So maybe I need to learn more about that, but that's, that is interesting. But you mentioned, and this is in the, in the headline of, of the LinkedIn Live right now, that the, the ability in everyday life to see a situation as a mirror that shows us our opportunity to heal can you talk more about that a little bit? Yeah, so that's that's more or less like what I was getting at with like the business, for example. So okay. um, when it's funny, because you wouldn't think that it was so directly correlated, but when I, let's say, post something on my social media, something I get really excited, um, I'm like, oh, I'm going to post like an intro video to this thing. And I'm really excited for people to get jazzed about it and to see how important it is, right? 
And so I put that out in the world and then I watch how I relate to it. And, and that's where the mirror comes in. So it's not like, oh, I blame people for not resonating with it. What happens is I watch, I'm like, oh, wow, like I'm disappointed or I'm, I don't feel like I'm being heard. And then when you peel back those layers, you actually, that's where you kind of revisit your childhood. And so like for me, the, the need to be heard comes from the, the family dynamic I had. I was the youngest of three siblings. My brother and sister were five and seven years older than me. And so I had a lot of this energy of like, I want to catch up with them. I want everyone to listen to me. I want to be included. And so this energy of needing to be heard can be demonstrated through a business or through a relationship. And so I just take whatever's happening to me on the outside and I try to peel it back and say like, what is this actually happening come from? Where did this um, like what's the genesis of this feeling and can I heal around that? So that way it's not limiting me in that way. And then maybe next time I post something and I'm not as attached to it because when we have like this kind of, let's call it egoic relationship to something that we have external, it's limiting us from being able to just be kind of more flowy and, and more purely like from our heart like if I post something and no one reacts to it whatever I still felt really good to post it you know yeah. you know like or are we looking for that validation sure. and that's just like one example of of that um another example like obviously being like relationships are um really huge for this too yeah yeah for sure nice and um what I what I always have been told and I'm starting to experience is that that children are like mirrors um, like, like I've got a three-year-old uh, daughter and a, and a one-year-old son, soon to be four and two, um, but they are mirrors to me in things that I'm doing wrong or uh, things that I'm doing right occasionally <laughs> as well. But uh, yeah, I, I could see how that, that could definitely be healing in having that mirror uh, to, to really look into and, and reflect on. As far as your your work and your practices in the mindfulness arena, can you tell us about that? Yeah, totally. So um, because I'm studied in the school of life, I have so many different ways of approaching things. Like I have obviously what I studied with like family dynamics and then um, meditation practices and um, even like I dabble in yoga, like not by teaching it, but by trying to have a practice myself uh, as much yeah. as I can, <laughs> um, which, you know, um, I have challenges with that, of course. Um, but yeah, so I use a lot of like mindfulness and meditation and just, and meditation, cause I struggle to, let's say, just sit down and like meditate. But for me, meditating is just a moment where we can like bring our presence back into what's happening in our body. And so even if there's a moment where I'm experiencing a lot of like feeling or energy in my body, I'm like, okay, can I sit and just be present with this for a second? Like, um, for example, I have a hard time cause I like to help people. And so sometimes I can overextend myself. And so I was lending my car to somebody the other day cause they needed it. And then I was like, Oh, I want my car back. Like I, my, <laughs> like, uh, and I just, I felt inside of me, this like energy of like kind of anxiety just for asking for me to have my car back. And so I just stayed really present with it. And again, in that way, it's a mirror of me seeing like, Oh, wow. Like I have some issues 
asserting my boundaries. And so um, for me, meditation or mindfulness is just about like, can you be present with what's coming up for you? Um, Whether it be like a physical symptom or energetically or an emotion. Um, And that's kind of like, even foundationally at the core of, of a lot of the work that I do or have done with my own personal self or what I tell other people to work on as well. Did, did you start meditating while you were still on active duty? Oh man, I don't remember exactly. I think to, because I don't see meditation as necessarily like sitting. Um, I did kind of, I do have these other ways. Like I, have always kind of created like rituals for myself in the sense of like routines. So I do recall having mornings where I would wake up, like if I had to work, be at work at seven, I'd wake up at like five before the, the sun had even risen. And I'd have moments where, yeah, like I'd light a candle and just like be present and stuff. So yeah, I definitely think I had started kind of exploring that before the military for sure. Yeah. And I journaled a lot and just used other ways to kind of connect as well. Yeah. Well, what inspired you to, to, to start in the first place? Oh man, I just feel lucky because, um, with everything that happened with my family, when I was younger, um, my parents getting divorced and my dad struggling with, um, his stuff that he was struggling with. I, there was just something in me that was like, okay, I don't want this to define me in the way of like, it goes bad. Like the girl with daddy issues and then you know, she's the girl with daddy issues. I was like, I'm really determined to use this, to figure this out. And, and I don't know where that came from. I just, I count it as a blessing, like something that woke up inside of me at a young enough age to take this on very young and, um, inspire me to start doing my own personal work and then to study family, social science. And, and it's been with me this whole time. So it's hard for me to say like, yeah, like what it was or when it started, but definitely. And I feel like this is true of everyone. Like, um, the thing that was like the hardest for us can be the thing where we can grow and, and be the most, you know, expansive in. And so, yeah. Yeah. So whatever Uh, that is for each person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we learn through adversity. And there's a great book. As a matter of fact, I, I just wrapped it up called The Obstacle is the Way. Uh, I've uh, read that book. From, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> just about everybody who's read any type of self-help books has read that one. But it's a, it's a phenomenal read. And it talks about that very thing is that, you know, we, we grow through that adversity. We, if we continually look for the easy way out, we're not going to grow. And if we can yeah. look at our obstacles in that light, then we can see them as opportunities rather than obstacles. It's a pretty powerful way of looking at things. Um, and it sounds like you, you've you embraced that way of looking at things, and that's that's awesome. You've also got in your in your notes here different modalities, including the Enneagram. What is the Enneagram, that? yes. Oh, Enneagram, okay. What is that? <laughs> it's some fancy Latin word that means um, nine-pointed figure. Um. So the Enneagram is a, it's kind of like a personality test. Like most people have heard of Myers-Briggs, right? So that's like your INFP, ESTP, whatever. ISTJ. Yeah. Is that yours? Yeah, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) So I have found personally, because I I used to love the Myers-Briggs and I like, again, dissecting the personality, psychology, this and that. But I found that for me personally, my Myers-Briggs type changed over time because it's not that if, so for you being an I, you said ISTJ? ISTJ, yep. 
So for you being an ISTJ, like, even though you may have introverted tendencies, you might not be only introverted. So it just kind of is saying like, okay, on a scale of 50, 50, you, you lean more introverted, but that doesn't tell you, you could be like 51, 49. So, so the Myers-Briggs, I, I love it. It's a very useful tool. But the Enneagram, instead of telling you like, okay, John might be introverted because he's ISTJ, you get a number type that actually speaks more about, yeah, technical difficulties, by the way, are excellent mirrors because (laughs) in the face of technical difficulties, we really see our anxiety of things not going the way we want. Um, Oh, well, you're doing great. So don't, don't have any anxiety about, (laughs) you're doing wonderfully, so. So um, I'll kind of back up a little bit. So the Enneagram compared to like the Myers-Briggs is less about like how someone comes off and more about the why. And so each Enneagram type has kind of a core fear that they are in some ways navigating their life around in a way that they are kind of running away from or trying to cover up the core fear. Because when we have to face our core fears, our core pains, then that's what creates a lot of like stuff that we don't like to feel. And so the example I like to use for this to demonstrate it is like at a party, you could see two quote unquote introverted people who are sitting kind of off in the corner, but one person could be introverted because they fear conflict and they just don't want to engage anyone in a risk of like potentially engaging in some sort of conflict. And the other person, let's say they're appearing introverted because they don't feel worthy of anyone's time or attention or love. And so the Enneagram, I like it because instead of saying, oh, those two people are introverted, which doesn't tell you like why they're introverted, the Enneagram kind of gets to like the more of the why of a personality and, um, and it's based around like a core fear and core patterns. And, um, and it's really cool. Like there's like a shape and it all relates to each other. And um, interesting. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the, the Myers-Briggs personality battery or, or whatever it is, MBTI, uh, that, fascinates me and, and um for my executive officer and my commanding officer school up in rhode island you go through the myers-briggs and then they they do this thing where they call those who have pegged one side or the other like for introvert i'm pegged all the way like mm-hmm. i am so far away <laughs> from extrovert um, although i can act like an extrovert if i need to but um i i peg the introvert side and so they have the introverts come up to the front of the class and they're like, hey, you have um, all the money in the world and you can take a trip anywhere, do anything. Tell us what that trip looks like. And I'm like, well, uh, my my ideal trip is I go by myself to X, Y, or Z, whatever location. And I do all these adventures and, and then I tell people about it later, but they're like, so you wouldn't take any of your friends with you? I'm like, no, I want to do it by myself. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, this is the introvert, introvert, sorry. And then, uh, and then they do the same thing with the extrovert and they're, and they're like, well, I would invite such and such and such and such. And we would go at a huge party to an island. And I'm like, that is not what I want to do. But what's interesting is they also give you like how the, all the different personalities how you're supposed to kind of interact with the others but it sounds like yours would be a lot more objective and probably a lot easier to get a a true read for why somebody is the way they are and then you can have something that comes with practicing mindfulness and meditation compassion or empathy for that 
person being the way they are. Um, not necessarily that that being the way they are is a bad thing, but you can understand where it is they're coming from. That's uh, I'm yeah. definitely gonna have to look into that. So is that is that something you learned about in in the school of life or in one of your books? Um, in the books, yeah. So there's like several books and there's a whole bunch of resources. I just posted um, a YouTube video that's like intro to the Enneagram. So that's something like there's a ton of YouTube videos. Um, I actually do Enneagram readings as well, like, cause there's like a way to help people discover it. So I'd be happy to offer you one. That'd be so fun to help you discover. <laughs> Maybe we should do it live. <laughs> we totally could if you wanted. Yeah. But then uh, I don't know, you'd be like, oops, accidentally stopped recording. Like yeah, too no. much of my, too, too much of me on blast is getting a little personal. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's right. Well, You're awesome. Like, oh, technical difficulties. Yeah. Right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I don't want to expose too much. Well, this is this has been a lot of fun. Uh, what if uh, if somebody wanted to reach out to you? How's the best way for them maybe to get their Enneagram reading or to find out about your business or anything else you do? Amazing. Yeah. So I have um, on Facebook, on Instagram, on and I have a website. It's all just Sabrina Chichura. Obviously, anyone would have to look up your show notes to know how to spell my last name because <laughs> it's a doozy. Um, but yeah, just if on any social media platform, just Sabrina Chichura, I'm there. And, um, and yeah, like I, I also have a, like a YouTube channel that I'm doing as well. So I'm, cool. I'm out there. Easily. I'll make sure I put the notes uh, or put all those in the notes, both your, your social media platforms and your, your YouTube channel. So people can see what this Enneagram is all about and then learn more about you. So what about, um, what have we not talked about? that you wanna make sure the audience hears? Well, um, I think I think the, the only thing that feels like kind of worth talking about because it is like veterans podcast is just the importance of the transition, I guess, from, and I'm sure you've had so many people talk about this, but I guess through oh, the lens of like- yeah, right. Um, through the lens of kind of the work I do is, is just like, yeah, like using also the military experience and the transition period to also be something to look internally. Um, like right now with the business, one thing that's being kind of mirrored to me is when I was in the military, it was kind of easy because my purpose and my motivation was very extrinsic. And so I was like, okay, cool. Like I have to go here, be here for these people, show up this way. And this is my purpose. And it's all just kind of given to you. Um, and so that's a journey in itself is to find your own inner guidance, your own inner purpose, your own inner authority. And all of that is kind of only something that can be done once we start looking more inward and using even our military and our veterans experience as a way to explore ourselves and find and find our path, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, yeah I, I, and I, like I said, I don't think that can be said enough because uh, every transitioning service member that I've spoken to has their own journey but these things are are in similar or are similar, right? Uh, you know, the the loss of purpose, or at least the feeling of a loss of purpose, the feeling of a loss of identity, or the feeling of a loss of tribe. No matter where you are, like in your military career, whether you're getting out after four years or you're getting out after thirty years, you're you're going to have some very similar feelings and emotions in that transition. And it's important that we all speak about it openly, uh, because some people box it up and then they don't know what to, how to deal with it later 
And it, if we all speak about it openly, then everybody realizes that that's a part of it, a part of the process. And to speak about it is cathartic. Uh, so uh, yes, we may have heard something similar to that in the past. And I'm sure we'll hear something similar to that again yeah. in the future, but it's important to, for people to hear. So thanks for voicing that. So that's all I got, Sabrina. Uh, in, unless you got anything else, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, thank you so much. It was yeah. amazing. Thanks for thanks for being on here with me, and uh, I'll make sure that uh, you get a link to this when it goes live on the podcast. It will be several more months before it's on the podcast form, but hey, it, we've got half the video on LinkedIn at least. <laughs> but anyway, thanks again, Sabrina. I really appreciate your time, and until until we speak again, stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye bye. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.